So if you, if you would please open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, we'll be reading in Daniel. Daniel is a, a shorter book, but it's one of the major prophets. So if you find Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you will then find Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. So you know this very well, but the ministry of Meadow Creek is not accomplished by me or Jerry or Jim. The ministry of Meadow Creek is accomplished by each of you. Our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And one of the things you're probably hearing over and over again, again, it's one of the themes of this particular time of study, is that we must be living in the book of Revelation. This is the end. It's the end of the end. Things are so bad. And you know I find this to be slightly ridiculous. So I want to equip you by looking at the book of Daniel. And in chapter 6, I want to encourage you, first of all, if you've had those thoughts, we could be near the end, but we just don't know. Why is that? Because Christians have always lived in a hostile world. As soon as Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, we see that Cain murdered Abel. Why? Because he was an agent of Satan. And Abel was God's child. Certainly I'm not discounting the the fact that our government is corrupt in so many ways and there's looming tyranny and corruption. And rightly, we should be praying for right government and Our society's immorality would be corrected, yes. These are good things. But that's not the same as saying the end is here. It could be, but it could not be. The America we live in, despite all of its problems and corruptions, is pretty much the greatest place anyone could ever live in the history of the world So if we're tempted to feel like the sky's falling now, let's, again, just try to have a little perspective. Imagine if you were living through the Black Death of 1345 to 1355. You realize 50 million to 200 million people in Europe died, half of the European population. Can you imagine? Not 1% of the people who had a disease. Almost everyone who got the death died. 200 million people. Now, if you lived in that time, do you think you thought that the end was near? That this is the revelation happening? These are the plagues of God upon mankind? Probably. And yet it was not the end. Or how about the Mongolian invasion or the Muslim invasion of Europe? And I'm just talking about Europe. Imagine the rest of the world seeing hordes of invaders just coming over and murdering everyone, destroying and burning everything. As a Christian, you might have thought, the end is here. Everyone's dying. These are the plagues. This is the the wrath of God. Or Christians living in Nazi Germany, or in Stalinist Russia, or communist China, or any one of the half dozen genocides of the 20th century. 
you're a Christian living throughout some of those experiences, you might think, oh, the end is here. Yet it wasn't. It wasn't. And just looking through the scriptures, was there ever a time more wicked than the time of Noah? When Noah was the only righteous man leading the only family that had any righteous people in it, in the whole earth, all the governments of the earth, all the people of the earth, only thought wicked things all the time. He stood alone among the governments of the world for God. Or Abraham, or Lot, or Samson, or Nehemiah, or the prophets, or the judges, the apostles, or Daniel. I, I think we all get the point. The call of all of us in this world isn't to figure out where we are in the timeline of God's history. Our call is the same. No matter when we've been put on the earth, and you have been put here for such a time as this, each one of you have been put on the earth right now for this moment. Why? Because he's equipped you for this moment, no matter what it is. And what has he called us to do? To be faithful and courageous in our service to God, i.e. just live a normal Christian life. Be faithful to God. And to be prayer, prayerful, to be confident in your prayers. And in this way, we shine. Paul says in Philippians 2, that we are blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. We see Daniel living in such a difficult circumstance that we probably will not be able to fathom in our own lifetime. And yet we're going to look at the book of Daniel and try to see how God had blessed this man in the midst of this pagan government and see what lessons we can learn from his life. This is Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. God's holy word. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom The prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to do to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document 
so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel And he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them, And broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. 
Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you have given us such a wonderful and precious gift. And now we pray to understand this. We pray that you would guide my words, the words of my mouth, and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. This is probably one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible, is it not? If you grew up in church, you've heard this particular part of history over and over again. And what is the the Sunday school lesson usually gravitate to, not in a completely unhealthy way, but probably not the way that I would like. It's something like this. You need to be like Daniel. If you trust God, he'll always deliver you. Or something along those lines. Would God have, have still been faithful if Daniel had died? Yes. What is the theme of this particular narrative? What would summarize the entire narrative? It's the same thing that summarizes all of the book of Daniel. And it comes again and again and again. There are kings over the world. There are kings over Babylon. There are kings over the Medes and Persians. But there's only one king of kings. He's our king. That's the theme. Darius says it himself. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he saved Daniel from the power of the lions. He's the king of kings. He raises up leaders and he puts down others. He's the king of kings. Actually, if you look back to Daniel chapter 5, he's just done this. In Daniel chapter 5, Belteshazzar, who was Nebuchadnezzar's probably grandson, was feasting and praising the gods of gold and silver, and he actually brought the temple articles that had been confiscated from the temple in Jerusalem. And they were drinking and getting drunk and carousing, using these holy things meant for the worship of the holy God. And he was startled to see on the wall a finger writing words, many, many, tekel, farsen. No one knew what they meant, but they knew that God was writing something that was important. So they called Daniel. And Daniel told the king in verse 18, God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, the kingdom and greatness and glory and majesty. God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom. And then God brought him down from his kingly throne in verse 20. And the glory was taken from him. And you knew all this and you still lifted yourself up against God. So you have been found wanting and this very night the kingdom will be taken from you. God is doing this. And we know from extra biblical sources as well that while Belshazzar was throwing this big party the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians had an army surrounding the city, and that night they invaded the city and they killed Belteshazzar. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom at age 62 years old. So sometime after this, Darius sets up Daniel 
as one of his leaders. So Daniel didn't just have one pagan corrupt government to serve, the government of the Babylonians. He now has two that he's serving. So what do you do when you live in a corrupt world and have corrupt government? We're going to talk about that because we see what Daniel does and it serves as an example to all of us. First, if you look at the the first three verses, we see that often God gives his people favor in the world. It pleased Darius to set Daniel up over all of the officials of the government. Why? Because he had an excellent spirit within him. The Holy Spirit was in him. Darius recognized this. Of course, he probably heard of Daniel just interpreting the the words and then the interpretation, of course, came to pass that very night as Daniel had said it would by the power of God. Darius knew of this prophecy, realized that God was with him, so it was right for him to put Daniel in charge, yet it probably took some courage. But it was God's providence that Daniel would be placed in the leadership of the government of the Medes and the Persians. Why? Because it was a great encouragement to the church of that day. The Jews who were scattered all over. Among the Jews were many probably faithful God followers. And the church was encouraged. Seeing a remnant preserved. God was still caring for the remnant that he had preserved in the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel and Judah. Even in their exile and in their discipline, God was preserving his own. But it isn't always the case that diligent and wise men are put in authority. Daniel is diligent and he's wise and he's put in authority. And this is unique in the world. We all see this. I remember every presidential election my whole life and my life isn't as long as some of yours. You've seen many, many elections. Do any of them ever really satisfy? I'm not saying that all rulers are equally evil. Some are better and some are worse. But it isn't always the case that diligent and wise people are put into authority in government. Darius, I think, is to be commended for wanting to utilize Daniel's ability Remember, Daniel's a foreigner. He had served the king of Babylon for many decades, probably. Decades, I think. He's not a Mede or a Persian. And now the Medes and the Persians are in charge. And who does Darius put in charge of all of his government? A slave from Judah? Hmm. There's probably some pressure to install a Mede or a Persian into leadership. And yet Darius lifted up Daniel. This is unique. Calvin wrote in the 1500s, it does not always happen that those who are remarkable for prudence or endowments obtain greater authority and rank. In the palaces of kings, we often see men of brutal dispositions holding high rank. And I know everyone's thinking, amen. We need to go back into history for this, and we don't need to go back into the history for this. In these days, kings are often gross and infatuated and more like horses and asses than men. 
Hence, audacity and recklessness obtained the highest honors of the palace. Seems prescient considering the time we live in. Calvin went on to lament that the kings of his day proudly despised God's gifts. And instead of installing good and able men that would be very useful to governments, they install ignorant men like themselves who are slaves to greed and sensuous living. It seems like government has always been this way. So Calvin felt that the world of the 1500s was beset with bad government and bad kings, brutal, proud, and reckless. And so Christians have always felt. And in this light, we see some merit in Darius's ability and desire to lift up Daniel. But it wasn't Darius, was it? That's the thing. It was God. God lifted up this man for his own purposes. And he still, today, puts people, his own people, in positions of power for his own glory. There's no random occurrences when it, look, when it comes to anything, especially leadership. When we look at leadership, we know that God has placed people in power for his own purposes. And his own people often are there as well. So Daniel is there to glorify God and to be faithful. But we also see that Daniel is living a faithful life. Verses 4 and 5, we see that these high officials, they're jealous of Daniel and they want to get him. They could find no ground for complaint or fault against him because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. I've said our our first responsibility living on this earth is to be an ambassador for God. And what does God expect from us as ambassadors? It's the same thing the president expects from an ambassador in a foreign country. To faithfully transmit his message to people. Our responsibility in the hostile culture we live in, in this day, is to be faithful. We don't need to be thinking about fighting for our rights or ensuring our property or our survival. I mean, certainly it's good to do these things. And we want to vote and interact with government. That's fine. But our hope is not in good government. Our hope is in Christ alone. It's in Jesus. Governments will always fail. Jesus will not. Daniel's hope was not in Belteshazzar or Nebuchadnezzar. Those governments failed. They were replaced by another, and Daniel is still faithful. Even in the kingdom of Darius, he's still faithful without fault or error. He's faithful in his prayer, and he's faithful in his vocation. Remember, he's serving a foreign, pagan, and cruel government. The Babylonian government was cruel and pagan. The Medes and the Persians government was cruel and pagan. We see at the end of the chapter... They took all of the families, the children, the wives, and threw them into the lion's den. This is the kind of government Daniel is serving. And yet he was faithful when he could be faithful. He took to heart the words of Colossians 3, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He was faithful. He worked for God. He lived before the face of God. We're also called to be faithful in whatever vocation God gives us in this earth. 
Be faithful, saint, in your work. Be faithful in what your hands have to do today. Every day you should wake up and say, Lord, I want to glorify your name. Make me faithful. Be faithful at home. Be faithful as parents and children. Be faithful as as you work in your place of work or employment. Be faithful as you interact with your community. Daniel was a faithful servant of Darius. There is no question. And there was no accusation that could be made against him. He worked hard, not for Darius, but because of God. He worked hard as unto the Lord. He was perfectly honest. He had integrity. He lived with integrity. And this is important for us because this is what the world sees when they look at our lives. They looked at Daniel and they saw nothing but integrity and faithfulness. Daniel was a person who was faithful in his work. He kept his word. He certainly loved others more than himself. It seems that he gave 100% to every task that God had given him. This is faithfulness in a vocational sense. And it's a vocational faithfulness that the world seems to notice. This is part of our shining brightly. It's living like Christ lived. The most faithful person who's ever lived is Jesus. John 6, Jesus says, All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. Christ was faithful to the very end. He had time for people. He made time for ministry, but he always was faithful to his God. He would go to God in prayer often. He never did anything halfway. He took time to enjoy the gifts that God had given him throughout his life, but he, he worked hard for the Lord and all that God had given him to do. First and foremost, he wanted to glorify his Father, and he finished his work. He was faithful. So we should not be surprised that God often gives us favor in the world. And if he does or he doesn't, we shouldn't not be faithful. We should still be faithful no matter what government he's given us. No matter whether we have favor or not, we need to be faithful to God. Because the world is watching. We don't know what he's doing. And God in his providence might use the hardship that we face for his own purposes. We live in a hostile world that hates God's people. And this is seen... Even in the time of Daniel, it's always been seen from the very beginning. Verses 5 through 7, this, this, these enemies of Daniel rise up. These men said, we're, we have to come against Daniel, but we're not going to do anything except it be about his religion. Something in connection with the law of his God. So they put together this this really devious and kind of subtle political maneuver. These are enemies of Daniel, but more than that, enemies of God's people, but more than that, enemies of God. Hateful, devious enemies of God, like their father, the devil. They were prideful, 1 Timothy 3.6. We're told that we shouldn't be puffed up 
prideful because we'll fall into the condemnation of the devil. He's prideful. The devil is persistent like these men. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is roaring as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He's watching. He wants to devour. He's persistent. He's powerful. He's the ruler of this world, we're told in Ephesians. Power of this dark world. Certainly it's power delegated by God himself, and he's on a leash. He's a created being, and yet God has given him power. And he's deceitful. He's a liar and the father of lies, and he's murderous. He's a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said in John 8. All of these things reflect the nature of these people coming against Daniel. They're in high government. They're entrenched in this government, and they're offended at Daniel. Why are they offended at Daniel? Why are people offended by you in culture? Well, if you're Christ, it's because you reflect Jesus Christ. And they don't come right at Daniel, do they? They're kind of brilliant in the way they come around the backside. They bring this petition to Darius. And it seems like it's not about any one person, doesn't it? But it's all focused on Daniel. The whole purpose was to get Daniel. Whatever these men were on earth, they were children of Satan being used by the enemy. And we're told by John that we shouldn't be surprised. We should expect the same treatment. First John 3, John says, This is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. The world hates us because we love Christ and we love the brothers. We can expect the world's hatred. And John has reminded the church that this is the way it's always been. This is John's encouragement. It's the same encouragement I'm giving you. Cain killed Abel. It's always been like this. Satan will try to kill you. He tries to destroy you. He'll try to destroy this church. He'll try to destroy God's people. And yet we have the king of kings for us on our side. God may allow us to be persecuted, but he will never allow us to be destroyed. He'll protect his own church and protect his own people and use all of Satan's attacks for his own glory. This is what God does. Okay, so when we are under bad government and evil laws, we're to submit to God alone and be faithful, as faithful as we can be. But like the apostles told the Sanhedrin, judge for yourselves if it's right to serve God, to obey God rather than to obey man. We're going to obey God first. So when Daniel sees this horrible law that's just been signed and passed, what does he do? Verse 10 says, when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house, got on his knees, and prayed. Daniel lived before the face of God first and foremost. You're a citizen of the United States. You're a citizen of Tennessee. You're a member of Meadow Creek. But before everything else, you're a child of God. 
This caused this knowledge caused Daniel to live with a boldness before the world. And look at the details of the text. Don't let them pass you by. Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He knew that he was not allowed to pray to his God or face death. Was he going to obey or disobey? Well, certainly if you're ever commanded to do something by the, anybody that's prohibited by God, you obey God. If you're prohibited from doing something, oh, you can't go to church anymore. If you're prohibited from doing something commanded by God, you obey God. He went to the same window he had always prayed from. And in front of an open window, he knelt down and prayed to God as he had done previously. So, why not close the windows? Why not pray secretly? See, this was his, this was his practice. This was his habit. So, to close the windows, to pray privately when he had always done it publicly before, would be an insult to God to preserve his own life. And it certainly would seem akin to bowing to the king's command. He decided he would not change any of his spiritual disciplines based on this law of man. He honored and trusted God so much more than anything on earth. God requires not only your heart, but also your life to reflect that faith that's in your heart. And this is a life of prayer for Daniel. He had been exiled almost his whole life. Remember, he left Judah when he was very young. And he's been praying to God three times a day toward Jerusalem. Why toward Jerusalem? He's remembering the covenant promises of God. God, you've promised, although the temple's been destroyed, Jerusalem's been destroyed, you've promised to save your people. He was not going to stop praying because some man wearing a gold chain wrote a law and signed it. This has always been the way of the church, the faithful in the church, whether it's the Roman persecution, whether you look through Fox's Book of Martyrs, whether you think of the Scottish Covenanters, whether you look at any persecuted part of the church throughout the history. We serve God first and God alone. And who knows but that God is building you up now to, to be ready to stand for God someday when it's required to serve Him alone, as Daniel did. Daniel firmly and wholly relied on God's promises and His character. He trusted God. He knew God. And yet God did not deliver him at that moment, did He? God still ordained that he would be thrown into the lions. He still walked through a difficult trial. The trials still come. Just because you serve God doesn't mean you're going to going to have a wonderful, easy life. That's a lie. You'll have health and wealth and prosperity because you serve Jesus. No. No, it's actually the opposite. The world will come against you because Satan hates you. Trials are coming. And the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. Daniel did not know the end of the story. He didn't know that God would save him. He didn't know that the mouths of the lions would be shut. He was a man like us. He knew fear. He knew what lions could do. He had probably seen people punished this way before. He knew that this was a horrible way to die. And yet he 
trusted God and his good providence to do whatever he was going to do. And yet Daniel was rescued from the lions and God was faithful to Daniel's prayer. We've already said that God still would have been faithful even if Daniel had been devoured. Because Daniel cared about God's glory more than his own comfort. And in this case, God delivered him. I'm going to close with this illustration. The French Protestants of the 1500s were a persecuted people. There were probably a million French Protestants or more in this Catholic country. Christians were imprisoned, they were killed, they were burned at the stake, villages, whole villages were massacred or wiped out because they're Protestants. Famously, the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre in 1572 was this thing. It was a massacre of Christians all over France. And the Roman Catholic world celebrated. There was bell ringing and masses, special masses in Rome, celebrating this massacre. And yet there was, there was a, a, a glimmer of hope in that Henry, the, the heir to the throne, was a Protestant. So the church thought, oh, if only we could just survive until Henry takes the throne and then he'll relieve this persecution. Meetings in homes had been forbidden. Catholic troops were being quartered in Protestant houses. 200,000 or so fled to England. But there were still some 700,000 still alive that stayed underground during this time. And Henry of Navarre, before he ascended to the throne, converted to Catholicism. His words were, Paris is worth a mass. It's a turncoat. So was God unfaithful to the church in France? Persecution continued. I think the point for us is that hope in any leader or government is doomed to fail. Daniel's hope was in Christ alone. His hope was in God. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our lesson to be learned is that God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. As Darius said, he is the living God enduring forever and his kingdom shall never be destroyed. We don't put hope in human princes or human governments or any human establishment. We put hope in the king of kings. He's the only one who, who can save. He's the only one who will rule until the end. He sits above the circle of the earth and all of its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted and scarcely are they sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth and he blows on them and they wither. Their tempest carries them off like stubble. Praise God that he has given us his word. Praise God that he's given us faith. Praise God that we know our Savior. No matter where God has placed you in this earth, Know that he has placed you here in this time today for such a time as this to be faithful, to be faithful in your Christian life, to be faithful in your community. And if the day of evil would come, 
that you would stand, having done everything else, to stand, to stand firm and have courage. We should be prayerfully faithful in our lives. And let's pray now. Almighty God, we thank you for giving us your word, and we thank you for making your people faithful. Thank you for Daniel and his example to us, that no matter what else happened, that Daniel was faithful to you. Lord, we know that the most faithful person who has ever lived was your own son. He was opposed by his own people. He was opposed by foreign government. He was opposed even by his own apostles at times. And yet he was faithful to you. Lord, as Christ was faithful to you, as Daniel was faithful to you, we pray that we would also be faithful to you. That we would be faithful in small things. That we'd be faithful in pursuing you as revealed in your word. That we'd be faithful in prayer. We'd be faithful in our words. Be faithful in our actions. We'd be faithful to to live lives that reflect Jesus Christ to a dying and dark world. We would live courageous lives and not fearful lives, lives devoted to prayer, lives devoted to Jesus. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand for our closing hymn? It's number 404. We're going to sing it once again. Number 404.